Hi, and welcome to Science is Funny. I'm your host, Private, aka Avery. I am 11 years old and currently in the sixth grade. And joining me today is Skipper, who is an old nerd. Hey, not funny, Private. Kind of funny, Skip. Skip, who invented electricity? Wow, that is a huge question. And there really isn't just one answer. How many answers are there? It's Benjamin Franklin, isn't it? No, it isn't. He was involved, but there are many others, too. Let's start by researching what electricity is and isn't, and who is responsible for what. Huh? Just go with it. Okay. So, Private, what is electricity, anyway? I looked up electricity in Encyclopedia Britannica to see what it was, and this is what it said. Thousands of years ago, before people knew anything about electricity, people were getting shocked. Shocked? They were getting shocked that they had discovered electricity? No, Skip. 5,000 years ago, the Egyptians were getting shocked by electric eels in the Nile River. They called the eel the Thunderer of the Nile because of the incredibly powerful shocks the eel gave them. They thought the eel was a protector of the fish. That's sweet, but it's wrong. Wrong? How do you know they were wrong? Because scientists studying the eel found out the eel uses its electric shock to stun other fish so it can eat them, not protect them. Oh, that's definitely not protecting. Tell me more. Nope. Eating is not protecting. The Egyptians (laughs) definitely didn't do their research. That is funny, Private. Of course. Try to keep up. Now that's not funny. Kind of funny, Skip. So, some ancient doctors even tried using the shock from electric eels and electric rays to cure people of gout or headaches. Would that really work? Well, it might work if you really thought it would work. It's called the placebo effect. See, headaches usually go away by themselves, so if you got a shock and your headache went away, you might think that the shock did it. But I can tell you that gout definitely did not go away from the shock. How do you know that? Because scientists found out that gout is caused by the buildup of uric acid crystals in our joints, usually the big toe. But we're getting off topic. Tell me more about electricity. Okay, so about 1,500 years ago, the Thales of Miletus did some experiments and observed that when amber was rubbed on a cat's fur, it attracted things like feathers. Hey, I can stick a balloon on the wall by rubbing it on my sister's head. Is that the same thing? Yep, but Thales thought it was friction that made it do the attracting, and he was wrong about that. So, along comes Benjamin Franklin in the late 1700s, and he did a lot of experiments with electricity, like the kite and the key thing. Cool. Not cool, Private. Old Ben used the kite with a wet string attached, and he put a key on the string. Then he flew the kite in a thunderstorm. He did get a small shock, but he could have gotten killed if lightning had followed the string down to his body. Oh, that was stupid. Private, it's not stupid if you don't know what's going to happen. It's ignorance. Stupid or ignorance, it still could have killed him. (laughs) Can't argue with that, Private. Tell me more. In the early 1800s, Hans Christian Orsted and André-Marie Ampere learned that electricity and magnetism were linked. So the term electromagnetism was born. Yeah, that's pretty cool, Private. But up to this time, no one is actually using electricity to do anything. They're just studying it. When did people start to use it to do stuff? It was near the end of the 1800s and beginning of the 1900s that people started to do stuff with it. Like what? Well, it was in the early 1900s. Hey, isn't that when you were born? Not funny, Private. That would make me almost 120 years old. Yeah, so you gotta be close to 120, aren't you? (laughs) Still not funny, Private. But it is around that time when one of my heroes, Nikola Tesla, began to do his experiments. 
Hey, I read about him. He was Serbian-American inventor and engineer. I read he was an immigrant. He immigrated to the United States in 1884. He invented and patented something called the rotating magnetic field, which is how alternating current machinery works. I have no idea what that is. So why is he your hero and not Thomas Edison? Didn't he invent the light bulb during that time? Tom was a very famous inventor, and the light bulb was one of his best. See, at that time, people were using candles, kerosene lamps, gas lights to light their houses and businesses, and they caused a lot of fires. But Tom wasn't perfect. See, when he invented the light bulbs, he also had to invent ways to make the electricity to power them, and he chose to create it using direct current to power his bulbs. So what's the big deal? What did Tesla do? See, Tesla developed a three-phase system of electric power transmission and a system of alternating current dynamos, transformers, and motors. What's a three-phase electric power transmission? What's the big deal anyway? See, private, it is a very big deal. It's how almost all electricity gets from where it is made to where it's used, like your house. Why? See, first of all, direct current transmission can't be sent very long distances. So without Tesla's electric power transmission system, we would have to have power stations every couple miles. Houses like yours probably would not have electricity at all because it would be too expensive to build a power station to power just a few houses on your street. Can you imagine what it would be like? No electricity, no lights, no TV, no internet, no dishwasher or clothes washer, no clothes dryers. You would have to heat with wood or coal furnaces, no cell phones. Okay, okay, I get it. Tesla's way better. So how does all this stuff work? I love you. I love that you're so curious about how things work. Yeah, yeah. Don't get all mushy. Just tell me. See, Tesla knew that it wasn't practical to build thousands of power stations all over the world. And he discovered that if he alternated the electric current, first sending it forward, then sending it backwards very fast, and by raising the voltage to a very, very high level, he could send electricity over hundreds of miles. Isn't high voltage really dangerous? It's not high voltage that's dangerous, Private. It's the high current. See, voltage is the amount of push. Current is the amount that actually flows. I don't get it. Well, take moving air, for example. If we had air moving at maybe 100 miles per hour, but was flowing through a straw, it'd be no big deal. But if we had a tornado with winds of 100 miles per hour, it would cause a lot of damage to houses and buildings. See, the 100 miles an hour is like voltage. It's the push, but it's the amount that's moving that does the damage. Okay, I get that, but... How did Tesla change the high voltage going through his wire to the low voltage coming to my house? He used transformers. Transformers, like those big gray cylinders attached to the top of your telephone pole, you know, the one that's right outside your house, those change the high voltage, low current, from the power station to the low voltage, high current, going to your house. Wow, that's very cool. He was a pretty smart immigrant. Many are. So that is why he is one of my heroes. Without his inventions, our world would be very different than it is today. I guess so. Thank you, Nikola Tesla. You got that right, Private. Hey, Skip, did you see the book of fractals I gave you? I think the pictures are beautiful. How'd someone make them? Someone didn't make them. Math made them. No, it can't be. It's art. It's beautiful. Math can't create beautiful pictures, can it? Say no. Say no. Yes, it can. And it did. Sorry. But how? It was a man named Benoit Mandelbrot. 
a Polish, French, and American mathematician who was really interested in what he called the art of roughness. He called himself a fractalus. It was a word he made up. What does fractal mean exactly? Well, in Latin, fractus means broken or shattered. And Mandelbrot wanted to create a mathematical function in geometry that could represent a smashed rock or the bark of a tree or even an ocean's coastline. But math just comes out to a number. How can math create a picture of a coastline? Private math is the language of nature. See, in addition to being a mathematician, Mandelbrot considered himself to be an artist. And yes, he is famous now. But in the 1950s, Mandelbrot's new ideas were laughed at. And when Mandelbrot lectured at the University for Advanced Study in Princeton, New Jersey, a famous mathematician got up and yelled out, I must protest. This is the worst lecture I have ever heard. What we have heard today makes absolutely no sense at all. So the math people all laughed at him? That's really mean. Well, they didn't understand what he was trying to say. Why? He was talking math, wasn't he? (laughs) Yeah, he was. But let me tell you what the definition of what fractal geometry is. Okay. In fractal geometry, a fractal dimension is an index for characterizing fractal patterns or sets by quantifying their complexity as a ratio of the change in detail to the change in scale. Huh? That is really math talk. (laughs) Exactly. Now, I don't want you to think I know everything about fractal geometry. You mean like how you want me to think you know everything about everything? Yeah, like that. But let me try to explain what it means. See, Mandelbrot wrote a paper on fractal dimensions. In that paper, Mandelbrot talked about a previous work by a man named Louis Fry Richardson. See, Richardson brought up the notion that the measured length of a coastline would change with the length of the measuring stick that was used to measure it. In other words, as the measuring stick got smaller, the length of the coastline would get larger. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Why would the length of a measuring stick make any difference in the length of the thing it measured? Because what he was trying to say was that a long measuring stick would miss the tiny ins and outs on the map of the coastline. I guess it would, yeah. So the point is, fractal dimensions change with the scale you're using. You know, larger, bigger details or very fine details, like the overall outline of a person versus every nook and cranny of a person's skin down to each and every hair. The smaller the detail, the larger the dimensions. Yeah, I get it. So So if you use a computer program or app to create an animation of a tree or an asteroid in space, you can use fractal geometry to create the fine details of arc of the tree or of the surface of the asteroid because the lengths of the lines of the computer draws and where the lines are drawn will change in the overall pattern and turn out to be very close resemble the actual bark that grows on real trees or the actual surface on real asteroids. For real? Yep. Seems that nature and fractal geometry follow the same rules when it comes to lots of different kinds of patterns. Like what else? Well, like air and water turbulence, river networks, how human organs function to medicine, and even the stock market trends and city growth. They all seem to follow the same rules. Wow, cool. Thank you, Nikola Tesla and Benoit Mandelbrot. You got that right. Right, private. Well, that's 
that's our podcast for this week. Come back next time for another episode of Science is Fun E. Oh, and don't forget to visit our website at www.scienceisfune.com or listen on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, or just search for Science is Fun E in the podcast section of your favorite podcast app. To suggest possible topics for upcoming episodes, email topics at scienceisfunee.com. And remember, you could win a Science is Fun E t-shirt if you send in a suggestion and we use it in an episode. You can email me at private at scienceisfune.com or skipper at scienceisfune.com. I'm private, aka Avery S., hoping you have a great week. TTFN.